Welcome to Best Served, a podcast recognizing unsung hospitality heroes. Join Chef Jensen Cummings as he chops it up with industry leaders about the humans who've impacted their lives and careers. From childhood guides, to ass-kicking mentors, to the team members in the trenches that make it all happen. Help us celebrate these rock stars by sharing our show and nominating your own unsung hospitality heroes. Connect with us on social media at Best Served Podcast. Now here is your host. Today is Best Served Podcast 311. We're talking inequality in restaurant policy. We're going to be talking to Mikey and Jeannie from Ray's High Road Restaurants here in a moment. Uh, this is Workplaces Worth Working, episode three of this series. You hear me talk about that idea of workplaces worth working a lot. And it's really about how do we build this equitable, profitable, sustainable model that, as always, cannot be about the food, cannot be about the product. We have to start to really give a shit about people. That has to be the foundation. We are in the relationship business. No relationship was ever built by a product or a service. It was always built by people and those products and services to create the opportunity, the like-mindedness, the preferences where we kind of find our people and restaurants absolutely do create that space. So inequality in restaurant policy, this is, we know, we know this is a hard industry. So many of us that have dedicated our lives to it have beaten our heads against the wall for years and years. And so we want to really unpack that. It's time to start thinking differently. If the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over and expecting different results. And I have been guilty of that time and again. So we want to look to uh, Mikey and Jeannie to help us kind of navigate what, what are some of the big thinking and what are some of these first steps that we can practically take? So I want to bring Jeannie in with no further ado. Jeannie, great to see you. Hi, thanks for having us. Of course. Pleasure. Yeah. So break it down for us a little bit. Give us some background first, kind of uh, your personal and then raise how this all kind of came about. Um, sure. Uh, personal, um, I've been in the restaurant industry my whole life. Parents and grandparents immigrated to this country and opened Chinese restaurants on the East Coast. And I've been living um, on occupied Duwamish territory here in Seattle, Washington for the last 22 years, um, working mostly in fine dining restaurants, um, mostly in management positions, um, um, helping build management programs. You know, often we you know, we talk about investing in people. You know, how do you um, build, take a server and, and give them the training and the tools that they need to be good managers to take care of our teams, right? And so I did a lot of that work. Um, and then post-COVID started a restaurant coalition. Well, I, I wanna go down this rabbit hole because you just said something that's really fascinating to me. It, it comes up a lot and I'm totally gonna take a tangent and anybody who watches us knows I can't help myself, but a server turning into a, a, into a manager, a lot of times we like, we have preyed on the passion of being a part of this team because the reality is managers work more and make less than a lot of servers, bartenders, things like that. The highest level, you know, what? how are you shifting the thinking to make management an actual upward position versus sometimes a lateral or downward position that it can tend to be? You see a lot of great servers and bartenders become managers and then they're out the door. They're gone. They got, you know, they get pushed out because they're not, management doesn't work for one reason or another. Yeah, I think that that's what we, we try to do is invest in those managers, invest in those people and give them the schools that they need, right? Oftentimes, especially if you're working in smaller locations, you just don't have the bandwidth to do that, right? And so um, what was really important to me and the team that I worked with, the owners that I worked with, was that we built a system that was really investing in them. So we walked them through, how do you conduct a proper interview? 
why is it important to have standard set questions? You know, how do you do performance management training and why is that important? And it needs to happen daily um, and quarterly and yearly. And why is that? You know, um, we talked, walked them, we gave them tools like, you know, DEI trainings. Um, we did a, brought in a nonviolent communication therapist to like really talk about emotional um, skills and how to connect with people and how to talk with folks, you know, because confrontation isn't something that we like as humans, right? And so when you're managing another person, managing air quotes, another person, you're like, you know, you need to, you're, you often get scared. You know, I think when you first become a manager, like you're like, how do I tell this person that they're not good at their job? You know? Um, but I, but without telling them they're a bad human, you know? And so, you know, so we really invested, I think, in our team by doing that and hopefully modeled behavior that, that they're taking with them to future jobs. Jeannie, we're going to table that. That's an entirely n- another episode that we need to be talking about. That's <laughs> really important. So I appreciate you uh, going there with me and just laying that groundwork. I think we need to pay attention to it. I know a lot of people in the server and management side, front of house, are nodding their head right now, saying, "Yep, been there, done that, seen that." Uh, you know, was guilty of that, all of that. So, yeah. uh, raise high road restaurants, break that down. What is the organization? What's the work? Uh, give us a little bit of the background on the organization itself. Yeah, I think this actually dovetails nicely into the work. So our organization is called Race High Road Restaurants. It's Restaurants Advancing Industry Standards of Employment. It's an acronym. Um, And we focus specifically on race and gender equity because we know that when we um, care for the, the you know, our, the community at large, everyone benefits, right? Yeah. And so um, one of the things that we do is we offer, um, um, a, a, we have a resource that we're building right now, actually, that that's going to go over kind of the things that we just discussed, like how do we support restaurant employers um, in providing them the resources that they need? So we have a, a peer-to-peer network interactive interface that we're building right now with a m- bunch of our member leaders in order that we can share resources with each other. We also have um, different programs that we have a free race and gender equity training program um, that helps people break down um, how to bring bring more diversity into their teams. But not only that, and more, but more importantly, how do you make sure that their people of color are represented in positions of leadership? Um, We have about 850 members around the country. Um, And then lastly, we work on policy change um, at the federal and state levels. And, and with that, let's let's bring Mikey in here to, to touch on that. Mikey Nab uh, and talk about that. Mikey, good to see you as well. Yeah, great to see you. Um, thanks for thanks for having us. So I, I guess I can a little bit personal intro and then I'll yeah. do what, the policy stuff. So you got it. jump right in. Yeah, Mikey Nab. I use he him pronouns. Um, I run the Mesa Family Restaurant Group. So we have three restaurants. There are two here in San Diego, California, occupied Kumeyaay territory, and we have one in Portland, Oregon, and they're all full service, casual Mexican restaurants. Uh, So I came to raise as a member Uh, a few years ago. I joined uh, the organization already existed and, you know, I, I joined up through my restaurants to help fight for race and gender equity in the industry. And a little over a year ago, uh, I went to a conference uh, in Washington, D.C., where we were lobbying um, for some policy change at the federal level to help uh, our industry compete at a level playing on a level playing field for the independent restaurants. That's mostly what Ray's represents um, over, you know, some of the low road employers, mostly corporate chains uh, in terms of like professionalizing our workforce and offering, you know, paying a fair rate for people's labor. 
and then it was that was early March of 2020. We were at that conference, and I went home, and a week later, all my restaurants were closed, just like everyone wow. else's. And so, same thing happened. To, that's actually where Jeannie and I met is at the Rays conference last March. Um, and so, we all found ourselves with a lot of time on our hands, and we're all pretty much Type A personalities that want to just get stuff done. That's how kind of restaurant work happens. And uh, so, we just realized there were so many restaurants across the country that like really wanted to dig in and do something. Actually finally make some changes that could be impactful to the industry that had so many pre-existing conditions prior to COVID so that the pandemic hit us harder than other folks, other, other industries. Mm -hmm. So I joined on as staff at Raise. Uh, I started as a strategy director in April of last year, and I was able to luckily convince Jeannie to join me uh, in August of last year. So Good that's work. how you got Meanie. Mikey and Jeannie is Meanie. It's not because we're mean. That's just our Brangelina name for running the organization <laughs> together. You have uh, arrived when you have a Brangelina name. I love it. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty fun. Um, and partly because like if you call a bald guy curly, you know, it's that that's how it works. It's kind of the opposite of true. Makes but yeah, sense. so I work on strategy. I, I work on trying to what we realize is restaurants can make commitments to high road employment practices like paying better wages, offering paid sick leave, child care, financial education, mental health, health care, all those things. But every time they ch check off one of those boxes that I just listed, their costs go up and their competitors' costs don't. So that are, they're at a competitive disadvantage to the low-road employer down the street. Um, so that's it's what I call there's no such thing as free breadsticks, right? Customers think that food and hospitality shouldn't cost anything because some yep. of these folks who are really in the business to maximize shareholder value rather than um, invest in people um, have convinced consumers of that. So what we realize is that policies, either at a state level, federal level, county level, city level, are the best way to advance our industry as a whole and really invest in the almost 14 million workers that we have across the country. So it's kind of like where I focus my energy is on policy. Appreciate that. You mentioned, you dropped a lot of nuggets there. Appreciate that, Mikey. You mentioned time. The two of you and many other people had time on their hands. Two things have come from that that I've noticed. One is people have gone into action in a very different way. The three of us included in that, right? Best served this. We're on episode 311. That's since March 18th of 2020, because we just went all in on communicating, right? And the two of you, the work that you've done. On the flip side, many people for the first time in their 5, 10, 15, 20, 30 year careers have had the time to go, what the hell am I doing to myself? And that has created a huge vulnerability and a vacuum that we're seeing play out right now where people are like, I'm out of here. Like, I'm not going to keep putting myself through this for the quote unquote passion that we again prey on, like with turning the server into the manager without the infrastructure support and training to be able to have that be an intelligent upward move for them. And they're out of this industry. Uh, so many of the most talented people that I know are doing something different. They're in real estate now. They're working for an insurance company. They started their own business. Like so, time is an interesting thing. Jeannie, I want to come. I want to come back to you. I want you to think about that because engagement is where you're really focused. And I'm sure that you're seeing that. You're seeing the strength of that time, and you're seeing the vulnerability of that time. Give us a little bit of your insights there, as I kind of lay out the uh, the idea of time as kind of a variable. Um, time is a variable. How, how long is this program? Um, we just got real existential here. It got deep. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, no, I think there are a lot of things to say. I think that, yeah, there are some people leaving the industry, but I also think that um, in time, what we'll see is that there are still people that have are passionate about this. Like you can't yes. 
pull me away from this industry. You know, I mean, this is the furthest I've ever been to it. And I'm still like, right, you know, I'm just not physically working in a restaurant, you know. Um, and and I think what this time is showing us is that it, um, that time's up, you know, like we have to address these issues. Whereas like certain restaurateurs that are part of our members have been addressing this in their individual locations for a long time and helping us advocate for federal policy or statewide policy to make changes to support their workers. Um, but what we're seeing right now is that more restaurant owners are aware that they need to address this and more restaurant workers are definitely saying that's it. You know, we, we can't work under these conditions. We don't want to work in um, toxic environments. Yeah. Um, we want to be paid. We want to have security. We don't want to be sexually harassed any longer. That, you know, that that floor just keeps getting raised and, and for the betterment of us all, you know. And so I think that when I think about that, that's kind of what I feel yeah i appreciate that and i feel you on it's the furthest you've been away i've had to reflect on that where i burnt out i couldn't do 70 hours a week anymore i couldn't become a caricature of myself as the chef and uh and all of all of these these things that we just like play into and start to just think is normal it's not normal and so i appreciate that i like you family legacy important i'm the fifth consecutive generation of chef restaurant tour in our family and became a father and that's obviously is a big fundamental shift for a lot of us i looked at my two sons and i was like would i want them to be the sixth generation my answer was "Fuck no there's no way i want them to go in this industry and i had two choices walk away and i kind of tried a little bit and it it's in my blood i couldn't do it just like you and now i'm looking at them going i have to commit myself to to building this workplace is worth working start stop selling food start telling stories these things that are important to me so you know i appreciate you you highlighting that Jeannie. that's right and i think that one one thing that you just said that's really important is that what if we all just walk away what will be left you know right. it is we have, like that's just like silent is complete being silent is being complicit in the problem mm -hmm. right so we have to use and we have and also it speaks to like what great privilege the people have that get sure. to walk away they're just like oh i get to walk away some of us can't you know some of our workers cannot this is the only work that they can do and know and we're just going to leave them and abandon them because we we have the privilege to be able to do something else i'm not going to do that yeah to do that. i appreciate that the 14 million people that found a sense of belonging found their people we got some work to do on the culture that we've built internally, the toxic culture sometimes that you mentioned, yet we did, we found our people and we have to stay committed to that. So I appreciate that the two of you are doing that. Let's talk about some very practical things, some takeaways. Mikey, I wanna to come to you uh, and talk about that. What's happening at the policy level? What are a couple things that restaurant owners, that workers can be paying attention to, can be doing, can contribute to in this moment as we're you know speaking right now? in uh, April 2021. Yeah, thanks for that. Um, Jeannie mentioned sexual harassment. The restaurant industry is the second largest private sector employer in the country yeah. and has the highest levels of sexual harassment of any industry by far. Um, so in terms of policies that can address what I think is one of the most um, horrible toxic environment um, aspects that you mentioned, um, there is one policy that can cut the sexual harassment in half. And that's what we call one fair wage. Um, it, so you know there's a two-tiered wage system in, in most states. Uh, right. There's a sub-minimum wage that can be paid to tipped workers. And then there's the regular minimum wage, which is what you pay 
from you know every other industry in the in in the market. Subminimum wage federally can be as low as two dollars and thirteen cents an hour, and and there are over twenty states that default to the federal minimum. So in these states and in other states where it's you know three, four, five, six dollars an hour, oftentimes servers will get their check and they'll say this is not a check because it's actually there's no money that's going right. to hit their bank account. It's all gone to taxes. Um, and so who's who's your employer in that situation? Who's your boss? Is it it's a hundred different people that you walked in and met that day? You have no idea what their expectations are. You're not protected by any government regulations or or um, laws that say that they have to treat you a certain way. We do know that in states where there is no subminimum wage for tipped employees, sexual harassment in our industry is cut in half. So that to me is an incredible, very effective way to change the lives of millions of workers. 70% um, of tipped workers are women. So this sexual harassment really does, it's, you know, we know that men can be sexually harassed, of course, but this is a, a, a gender issue for sure. Um, those seven states that don't have subminimum wages are California, Oregon, Washington, Nevada, Minnesota, Montana, and Alaska. And you notice I slowed down when I stopped saying West Coast states because I think people just, um, right. they just dismiss the blue states like, oh, okay, they're, they're socialists or something. But Montana and Alaska are not like that, and Minnesota is not like that. And to be honest with you, Nevada is not like that either. Um, in those states, the restaurant industry pre-COVID was thriving at greater rates than in the other states. Uh, so more uh, restaurant openings, more full-time equivalent jobs being offered, of course, higher wages and higher tip percentages. So all the things that are scary about changing systems and policies around these um, around these kinds of issues are proven to be not true. And in those states, the subminimum wage hasn't existed for over 30 years. So it's not like it's new and we're still collecting data. We know it works. Like all my restaurants are in those states. It works, right? Tips are still great at my restaurants. Um, so what we're trying to do in terms of what's on the table in policy right now. So there's a federal bill called the Raise the Wage Act. It was meant to be included in the American Rescue Plan, Biden's COVID right. relief plan. But the this is a little wonky, so you know, feel free to stop me and say too wonky. The Senate parliamentarian <laughs> gave advice that said that cannot be in a budget reconciliation bill, meaning it, it has to get um, it has to pass a filibuster. Um, and there's really no way that we can see that 10 Republicans will support a $15 minimum wage and the elimination of the subminimum wage, but that's what the Raise the Wage Act is. $15 federal minimum wage, elimination of the subminimum wage, what some people call the tip credit. But right. it scales up. The, the, it, you get to 15 on the regular minimum wage within four years and wage parity with the subminimum wage the following year. So you have five years. If you're paying $2.13 right now, you have five years to get it up to 15. Um, and that's plenty of time to adjust, you know, the way your menu is priced, the way you're training, hiring, recruitment, all, all those things that you would need to, you need time to build it in. And that's sure, why there is yeah. time built into the bill. So we're trying to show sure, some Mikey, a couple of things. I do want to, I do want to unpack a couple of things before we get too far from, uh, from a couple of points that I think will be practical for, for everybody watching and listening to this is when, when you mentioned uh, that raising the minimum wage, getting rid of the tip credit uh, has an impact directly that is being correlated somehow by someone. Where and how is that information? Who is tracking that information? Is there somewhere where people can go look at that to see how do I correlate that the states that have ha have abolished that or haven't had it for 30 years are having an impact on sexual harassment specifically? Is there somewhere people can go and find that information, track that that data? 
Yeah, so Jeannie just put a link in our chat, which I think only the three of us can see right now, uh, but uh, it's AmericanProgress.org, um, and then there's issues, poverty reports, ending tip minimum wage will reduce poverty and inequality. Uh, and I, you'll, I don't you'll know- Drop that into the comments, AmericanProgress.org, and so people can kind of track that for themselves a little bit. So I think that's really good. Uh, there's another element that I thought was very interesting that I want to hover on for just a moment, because I think there's the potential for our industry to be vulnerable to sexual harassment, potentially internally and externally. And I want to take a moment to unpack that, because the, the way that you positioned it made me feel like we're talking about people that walk in the door that now are quote unquote your boss. And if 70% of those are women, right? And then you see a lot of men potentially using that to their advantage to have some kind of leverage over that person's livelihood. We see that play out. So I'm interested in that dynamic of sexual harassment. And then we know we have internal sexual harassment issues as well from uh, from the brigade system of hierarchy of management down. Uh, we also We also know that so many of us never leave the restaurant that our significant others come from that. So like relationships are built that way. So it's muddy. It's very muddy internally, especially start with externally, how you're viewing that and then internally, because I think it's important for us to hover on that for a moment. Jeannie, do you want to take this one? I feel like you speak more eloquently about this stuff than I do. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. Well, I mean, I probably can speak to it because I've experienced it. I yeah. used to work my first you know, job when I was in my early 20s was um, waiting tables for $2.83 an hour at Pennsylvania. And yeah, let's speak to that. So what does that do? You know, I mean, as women, we do what we need to do to survive, you know, or as humans, you know, and, you know, and, you know, like, Jensen, you said, you know, like some of these things you've done in your past, you know, and so did I, you know, I, I knew what to do. I knew when to wear short skirts and, you know, whatever the thing was that I could bend the, the rules of the dress code a little bit to make sure that I was going to maximize on the amount of money I was going to make. Yeah. And I think we don't really address, you know, what that does to a person, you know? I mean, you know, we talk about how it's inappropriate, but really what it does is it, it you just can't unpack it without without thinking about what it does to, to the person internalized, what, what the, that message sends to them, what type of value they have as a person and how they should, what they deserve in life and what, uh, what their possibilities of what they can achieve are, right? And so, and, and what we know is that if we can raise the, just not have the subminimum wage exist and people can have a full hourly from their employer, they can tell those people, I'm worth more than that. I'm worth more than that. I don't deserve to be spoken to in that way. I don't need to tolerate that type of behavior from you because I'm being paid by my employer. And this is just what you're going to leave me is a little bit of a bonus and a little bit of, you know, something on top of something that is a more stable income for me. Um, internally, yeah, I mean, we see that all the time where it's, you know, managers being really inappropriate and, and people fearing that they're going to get the bad section and if they're not flirtatious, if they don't tolerate that behavior, if they don't even, you know, participate in it, you know, like, I want to be a part of the boys club and yeah. I'm going to say these things. And, you know, it's like, what does that mean? What are we doing? And what kind of space are we setting up for each other? You know, I'm really, really grateful for, um, 
I'm, I'm in generation X, but like for the, the younger generations that have really opened my eyes to that, I feel like scales have fallen off where I was just walking through the world, trying to fit into this white culture as best as possible because I wanted to be accepted, you know, and I wanted to be successful. And these were the things that I was seeing in order to be successful. I'm so grateful that over the last 10, 15 years, like those things have just slowly been shed from me and of what's appropriate and what I'll tolerate and what I'll allow other people to do around me. Dini, I think I, I'm so grateful that you just said that because I, I talk about big air quotes, kids these days, how we keep blaming kids these days for the inequity that we see. I am so inspired by kids these days because they are breaking the bullshit that we pretended was this badge of honor, this tough guy, tough gal mentality. And the reality is we did amazing things, yet we burned so hot for two, three decades. And the reality is it's been exposed that that model, it ran its course. It was not sustainable and it has ended, right? And we're holding on so desperately to validate our past decisions, our past glories, to validate the bad decisions that we did in fact make for ourselves, for our team, for our community, for our business. And, and it, it sucks. It's painful to see. And, you know, for me, it's like, I have, to, I have to own that literally as soon as we're done, I, I'm doing an episode called restaurants are not a great place to work. And it's my fault because it's time for all of us to take responsibility and accountability and say, this is, what we built, not kids these days. And now it's time for us to show true leadership and real grit and do something about it. So I'm glad kids these days, you're the best thing to happen in this industry because you're the only chance we have of building something new that actually works. Yeah, that's right. And I think that we need to I, I embrace that and be like, why, you know, why yes. are they saying that? You know, yeah. So thank you for, for doing that show. It's like people are so fearful. Like I, I hate that mentality too, which is like everything is like either or, right? So like you like as you're grown, then you know all the things. And it's just like, no, we need to continue to learn all the things every single day, you know? So thanks. Yep. You're yeah. also reminding me of something as you all are talking about the sort of like the, the kids these days, right? Which is um there's permanent like permanent damage done to people's idea of what workplaces can be like when yeah. they're exposed to it at the earliest part of their working career in the one of the worst working environments that you could imagine. The professor who came up with the term sexual harassment, her name's Catherine McKinnon. She recently studied the restaurant industry and she said, it is by far the most sexual harassment I've seen of any industry, including the military. So, if you think about folks will say, oh, restaurant jobs are teenager jobs. By the way, that's not true. Average tipped worker is 30 now. Um, but there are young people who enter the workforce through the restaurant industry, and they think now that that's acceptable. The level of sexual harassment they deal with, that's the level that's set for the rest of their lives. So if right. they go on to other working cultures and environments, they don't really recognize as well as they might have otherwise that that's inappropriate and wrong. And I think a good example of like how it can affect you permanently is Anthony Bourdain. Um, a lot of times, you know, since we're all stuck on Zoom now, we do check-in questions or icebreakers like every call. And I've heard the one like, what would you do if you didn't do what you're doing now? Like what would be a, your ideal career? And so many times someone or multiple people on calls will say, I would do basically what Bourdain did. I'd travel around the world and try all these great restaurants because we love restaurants, right? 
and talk about it. And but he had like severe depression and and addiction issues, right? And so like even he with the ideal job that everyone would love to do, that grind culture that he that he wrote about in Kitchen Confidential is something that I think I'm so glad to see these new generations dismissing as untenable and unsustainable. So I'm hopeful because there's two kinds of people. There's the ones that'll say, I had to do it and it was terrible, so you should have to do it too. Or there's right. the ones who say, I had to do it and it was terrible. I'd never want anyone else to go through that again. That's why we should forgive student loan debt. Yeah. <laughs> Drop that in there real quick. Yeah, I agree. And you know what? And I think there's there's two plus one because there's also the people that say, where I went through it, I don't want you to go through it. And then and then we also go the other direction. We we coddle and we don't want to tell people what's what. And so it's like this crazy balancing act where like you can't keep perpetuating the same stuff and you can't pretend like it doesn't happen or it doesn't exist, right? We have to be able to recognize both and actually do something differently. Actually do something. And the restaurant industry model has not shifted in over half a century. We've made these incremental little tweaks where it's like a different color lipstick on the same pig. It's the same business model. So what we're talking about now are some fundamental shifts to the way that the business model is built. And so, you know, we talk a lot about workplace work working or the our paragon pillars where it's like two outcomes we want to see is 75% employee retention satisfaction to flip the 73% churn rate we have. And how do restaurants build an equitable mo model that gets them, it was 20%, now it's fuck COVID-19, 19% net profit for restaurants. How do we build equity and profitability and sustainability in the system so that a restaurant can invest in its people, can have all the programs that it needs, have wages, benefits, culture, and education that lead to personal and professional development, everything you're talking about, and they can be competitive. As you mentioned, people doing the right thing, a lot of times get priced out of the market. They can't sustain their business. So we have to be able to find a way to do both and follow the money, which is I know what you guys do. The Cisco's of the world making the money and the farmer and the restaurant worker being in poverty, barely above the poverty line makes no sense whatsoever. So we need to understand restaurants are a keystone species. They need to thrive. Both culture and commerce and any community is now restaurants are the linchpin. So I love this. You guys get me fired up. I'm ranting a lot in this episode. <laughs> And I appreciate that. I want to get some last thoughts from each of you. Uh, Jeannie and Mikey, speak directly. Jeannie, I'd love for you to speak to the workers. Mikey, since you're more on policy, to the restaurant operators. A takeaway. What's one thing that I can do today? What's one thing that I can focus on right now with as busy as I am? I have no time. We use that excuse all the time. How do we create an opportunity today? One thing that we can do today. What's a takeaway that you hope for a worker that, that can help them on the path that you're trying to illuminate for us? Gosh, this is one a serious thing, episode here, Jeannie. We're, we're not pulling any punches. One thing. Um, as I, I think, well, I'm going to give two things because I have to, but one right. thing, just like stand up for each other, you know, like support each other because there's, as well, as long as there's two or three of you, you have power, right? And use that power and, and ask for what you need. Um, and, and, you, and you see that within the restaurant. Workers being able to speak to each other and say, what's happening for you? And then being able to do what? Have what conversation? Have a conversation on what it is that they need in order to feel safe in their environment, right? And they, they need to hold their bosses accountable and say, if we want an equitable work environment, you can't have this person saying, um, 
that's so gay and, and, and allowing that to fly, right? Like you need to have systems in place to protect us. You have to have systems in place to protect us from our customers that are being inappropriate. Because I, now I live in Washington state, that doesn't mean people aren't inappropriate to me when I'm on the floor, sure. right? It's just more, now I feel more empowered to, to be, tell them to buzz off because my um, income isn't dependent on it, but my position and standing in the restaurant could be dependent on it. I could still be retaliated against if I tell some, tell some like inappropriate guy off, you know? So making sure that the, that, that using your worker power to say, we want systems in place to make sure that we have protection against customers and against management. We want to see a more diverse staff here. We want to make sure that there's mobility. We want to see there's training, you know, whatever it is that they need in each individual restaurant. I think collect, the other thing I'll say is collectively as a whole, we need to take care of us, right? We yeah. take care of us. And you might not work. I've been working in fine dining my whole life, right? I've never worked in a, oh, actually, that's not true. One time I worked in a dive bar, but <laughs> a dive bar or an IHOPs or a Denny's or any of that, but those are still my people, right? That is still my industry. And I need to stand up for them because they're working two, three jobs to try and pay their families. We, our workers are in poverty at three times the rate of any other sector. And we use food stamps at twice the rate as any other sector. So how can we say that I care about restaurant workers and not care about those people? So if you are a worker today, do something about that. And Mikey's going to tell you how. Oh, I appreciate that. Jeannie, what I'd love to see, because I want to get like so granular for people, is if you're working at a restaurant right now, I want you to get together with your people, your crew, and be able to air your grievances in, in a safe way. And I want you to come together and write six things down, just six things down that for you are a struggle or a pain point or something that is making you feel like there's inequality within your workplace, whatever that is, write those six things down, create the opportunity to speak to leadership about those six things in a safe environment that's not in the heat of battle, so to speak, those six things. If you're able to write those six things down, I think you'll see that there may be some listening opportunities there. So I appreciate that, Jeannie. Mikey, for you, restaurant operators, at the uh, policy level maybe, within their restaurants or supporting policy, what do we need to be doing? What's one, two things that we can take away from that? Yep, I, I'm giving you two links that maybe we could put in the chat. The first one is at highroadrestaurants.org slash petition. This is for restaurant owners to sign our digital petition and it will get sent to their senators and Congress members saying, Perfect. we would like you to support the Raise the Wage Act, the $15 federal minimum wage and the elimination of the sub-minimum wage. The second link is a secure every action link to the One Fair Wage page. That's for workers, like Jeannie was mentioning, it does the same thing. It signs a petition saying restaurant workers want to stand up for each other and eliminate this legacy of slavery, the two-tiered wage system. Um, another thing I'll say that restaurant owners can do, and I think this is like, I used to be a little shy to do this part, but I'm not anymore. Um, dump the National Restaurant Association. So if you're a member of your state restaurant association or the National Restaurant Association by, by virtue of being a member that way, uh, unless you believe that the right thing to do is to fight as hard as possible to continue to suppress wages for our workers, then they don't speak for you um, because that's what they do. They, they have a very, a lot of money, power and influence. Um, and by the way, their, their political action is funded by workers through ServeSafe. I don't know if most people recognize that ServeSafe is not a governmental program. It's owned by the National Restaurant Association. So workers, yeah. when they pay for their food handlers card, that 35 bucks or whatever, is not limited it's not it's not going to a nonprofit. so the national restaurant association can use all that money for unlimited lobbying um, to subjugate our workforce and they tell 
they, they, they get to tell politicians and legislators, we speak for all restaurants because right. to be a member of the National Restaurant Association, all you have to do is serve food. So they can claim all restaurants. But the truth is they don't speak for all restaurants and we need to start making that known. So um, like Jeannie sits on the board at the Independent Restaurant Coalition. They had to form that in response to COVID because they knew that the NRA would fight for the chains and independents, which make up over 90% of the employers in our industry, would have been left out or or deprioritized. Uh, and so I, I think the truth is we have to toxify what's already toxic. They toxify themselves. We just need to tell everybody that that's actually the truth. The National Restaurant Association does not speak for me. So those are the action points I guess I would I would share. Mike, you're throwing down the gauntlet. I appreciate that. We got to get real. We got to have these conversations. It has it has to has to happen. And I appreciate also pointing out uh, the IRC, the Independent Restaurant Coalition. And uh, and we'll drop we we did a series on them. We'll drop that that link to the playlist in the comments there. You can hear from Andrew Zimmer and Bobby Stuckey, Nina Compton, Carolyn Glover, some of the leaders there who, yeah, we need to stand up for ourselves. We don't we just don't value ourselves enough. You know, our mission is to amplify the worth and work of people who feed their community. The work part is challenging. The worth part is fundamentally difficult for people who just you know we're just we're just cooks like what what do we matter you matter you fucking matter and the fact that mikey genie and everybody on your guys's team is working towards that we're grateful appreciate it appreciate both of you genie mikey for being on and uh and contributing sharing your voices really appreciate the two of you thank you so much jensen i'm just gonna say one thing it's like anytime anybody says i'm just something i'm like how about we change that definition of saying just something to adjust something you know let's like go let's go let's go That's exactly yeah. it people people that that you guys serve are the most giving and a little bit touched but giving and generous people you will ever meet and so i i really appreciate the fact again uh that the two of you are doing this work so Jeannie, mikey we'll let you go have a great rest of your day thanks, thanks chef so all right take care all right everybody that is it for this episode Really, really great. Mikey, Jeannie, great voices for our industry. have really lived that life, the struggle, uh, the joy and the pain of it, and the fact that they're doing some stuff. We got a lot of links in the comments for you to check out. Absolutely. A lot of resources. want to make sure all of you have a very practical way to start. So often, we're talking very high level, and that's important for us to really understand, yet we have to be able to do something about it. So taking these little steps are the first steps and such important steps. So that is it. Once again, this was episode 311, Inequity in Restaurant Policy, the work that's happening around that. Workplaces Worth Working, episode three. This series will be ongoing as it is foundational now to the work that we are doing at Best Serve. Thanks to all of you for tuning in and the work that you do. Cheers. Thanks for listening to the Best Served Podcast. Subscribe to our show and connect with us on social media at Best Served Podcast. Tune in next week to discover more unsung hospitality heroes.